Welcome to the Space Between podcast. I am William. And I'm Katie. And in this podcast, we talk about the complexities of life, faith in the 21st century, and everything in between. Often, that space between is where a lot of us find ourselves. We hope to provide a place where people can be honest and we can engage with one another with compassion wherever we may end up on our journey. Hello and welcome to the Space Between podcast. Today we have Christina from the DTR blog. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. It's good to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So for those who don't know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do? (laughs) Sure. Um, So my online personality uh, is I have a blog that I've... um, ran for about a few years now. And it started when um, I was processing the grief from my mom's passing. And then I went through um, depression and other mental health issues. So I blogged about it, but in doing that, I found that I use humor (laughs) in the way that I write. And so, um, yeah, I would write about dating in church because I'm single. So that was just very natural for me as well as my faith and, um, the humor part kind of took off and I would post jokes and such on Instagram. And that's kind of where the, the largest of the following is. Um, and then from there I started to do stand up and all of this, uh, comedy, um, world that I had never planned on. So I did that. And then I, I work in the mental health field and I'm currently pursuing my master's in social work. So I kind of have a passion to blend all of those things together and use humor to allow us to talk about difficult things. Yeah, it's interesting. One of our friends, actually, well, Katie and I's friends, um, they wrote one of their dissertations on the way in which, like, those who live in Ireland use um, quite dark humor to process the trauma uh-huh, of stuff uh-huh. like the troubles and things like that. So, if you've ever seen like Dairy Girls, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that, to be able to where you go, that's accurate and it's really messed up, but it's funny because it's, it's true. true. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, they say. Uh, comedy comes from tragedy but I like to say that like comedy uses tragedy to create a healing and a new emotion from something that presented like a different emotion like uh you know sadness grief and you are then able to talk about it in a way that that presents laughter and and that's very healing so yeah just on that then like it would be interesting to know on the topics that you write jokes about that you Mm -hmm. write humor for um is there any that are more popular or get a bigger response where you can point to and go okay that's something that maybe we need to talk about a little bit more yeah so i think now i think i'm in my third year of doing this and when i started uh christian dating was was the hot Thing that those type of jokes did very well, but they were also in the Christian market. You can make a joke that is not a great joke, like in the comedy world, if, in regards to like how if you said it in a church versus in a mainstream comedy club, uh, it doesn't take much to make the audience laugh in the Christian world because because it's religion and it's your life, and there's so many ironies that you can point out. So, however. Uh, 
I, I would make a little bit more controversial or poke a little more fun. And I noticed people would really want to talk about certain things like uh, celibacy, uh, praying about your spouse, like if there's the one, all that. So um, those specific things definitely were stuff that people wanted to talk about. And then as I branched out, you know, that to me became very cookie cutter to make those type of jokes. And so I, I started to do jokes about deconstruction process about, um, like white supremacy, um, you know, infiltration of Trump in the church. And those were way more risky, but they did very well because people really wanted to talk about it. And at the time when I started doing that, it wasn't really, it was a very touchy subject. So I love that. Like I love to find the thing that's the touchy subject and go after that. <laughs> yeah. And what's the pushback like on things like that? So if you have maybe more conservative Christians who would yeah. uh, take offense that it's not the church safe joke that's, that's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle and what is the pushback like on those sort of things? So I think that I was pretty safe with my jokes. Like I knew what I could write that would do well, grow my platform, easy peasy Christian dating. And, but I, with my background, like I'm Iranian American, my family are all immigrants from Iran. And uh, my mother was Muslim converted to Christianity through a Benny Hinn conference, who is a very charismatic preacher of the nineties. And so I would go to these Benny Hinn crusades and that was our, you know, mother daughter dates. So, uh, I have a very interesting background and upbringing and, and with that, I also have a very broad range of friendships, people of, um, many different races, many different, um, you know, uh, belief systems, uh, sexuality. Um, and I noticed that, that all of those things were off topic or like, you couldn't talk about really any of those things. You had to stay in the confines of like, what is allowed in the church to be discussed in the mainstream church. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so, um, you know, I, I know all everything about all the mega churches, the celebrities, everything like that. So, Uh, Working in the mental health field and social work, I am very passionate about, you know, certain causes, very passionate about equality, very passionate about these things. And I could not go anymore without bringing up like, why is everyone obsessed with Trump pushing this down our throats that we have to vote for him if we're a Christian? Because I heard it nonstop to the point where it felt like if you were to speak out, you something would happen like you would be like rejected or mm-hmm. ostracized or whatever yeah so finally i posted a blog and subsequent jokes and i lost like 3000 followers in that uh, couple days uh-huh. i had mega church pastors commenting being like i hope you pray for Trump more than you talk about him. And at the time I just wrote a blog. I didn't even say anything political. It was on the specific things that he has said and done. And I quoted and, you know, put the sources and was like, as you know, Christian, this is, this is what I believe is, is our mandate in, um, you know, uh, just supporting, um, different things. And, 
it was very basic. It wasn't anything outrageous, but just with that, that I got, um, ton, like the big mega leaders, a lot of them unfollowed me. Um, but it's funny because the one guy he wrote, I hope you pray for him and use the Holy spirit to have discernment. And I wrote back something like, Oh, it was a good thing that I have the Holy spirit as I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like what you don't have the, the Holy spirit any more than I have the Holy spirit. And, um, but after that, the, it was, so, it's so interesting because the people who are, who are in the community, you know, uh, in my following in the community, they love the deconstruction, the liberal joke, just the honesty of being like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. I think that these things, there's these problems. These are the solutions that we can, you know, join together in. And now I, I feel like I can make pretty extreme jokes that point to a truth that needs to be discussed. And I'm so thankful because a lot of people don't have that ability with the transition of going from a cookie cutter Christian platform to a deconstruction, reconstruction, let's talk about all this stuff in, in humor um, type way. But you got to be able to let go of like, like all of those people that you wanted to, to approve of you to be a part of the conferences and the book deal, you have to be able to let all that go. Not that's not now part of your um, pursuit of success. <laughs> And you know what I mean? And that for me was the the big line. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that it's like comedy, laughter, speaking truth, mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff is things that people want and are just natural to desire, like to have in your life and is why people will uh, just scroll endlessly looking at memes for hours mm -hmm. and hours or, or mm -hmm. TikTok videos or whatever. And um, I find it interesting to see the way I, I have seen some um almost like conservative response pages to like deconstruction and, and that whole sort yeah. of movement um, that try to emulate that. But there, there really is something that seems to be, I don't know, off with it. And I don't know if it's just the ass element of it not speaking to something that's true or misrepresenting what's actually true about the, the movement and about what's actually going on. But I just think mm -hmm. it was interesting to observe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Christian comedy became popular. Like there, there were, there it wasn't as common. And then the explosion of memes, meme pages, um, it, it, and that being um, within the church. You know, even pastors they make jokes all the time. Like the the joke is that there, that's what they do. You know, and but it's like I said, it's so easy to make a joke. Like you can post a Bible verse and a picture. And it, and it will get 10,000 likes because it's the culture. So it's way more challenging to let all that go and to actually be like comedy is a tool to use to bring forth a truth and an uncomfortable truth that engages an audience that actually reconciles an audience. Because if you sit in a comedy show, a good comedian can like do a joke about Republicans and Democrats making fun of themselves and both people will laugh, will laugh at it. And it unifies the audience because you're laughing at yourself. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is, this is a little ridiculous. We're all human at, to, you know, at the, 
core. And that is what I love about it. So there's a difference between posting something that is passive aggressive uh, with humor. And there is, and there's something about bringing unification through, through the uncomfortable truth that opens up dialogue. And Dave Chappelle, who I know is controversial, but I love watching him and I love what he tries to do. I don't uh, agree with all of his jokes, but he is so brilliant at, at talking about something and he, he says all the offenses. So like you and every person is going to be offended by what he's saying. And somehow at the end, he says something that completely dismantles all of that offense and is like, oh, this is the, this is the truth piece, the the like healing piece. That's a a sign of a great comedian, not necessarily a Bible joke in a gif, you know, but still there is humorous. Yeah, that's great. And just before we get on to talking a little bit more about your faith, Mm -hmm. um, your account is called the DTR blog. Like, um, that's not something that's really used here in the UK. Um, so, and and the first time I heard it was in America, actually. So, um, what does DTR stand for? Yeah, I know. I've thought I have thought about if I should change the handle, but just just to be like upgraded brand. But that's that's how we started. That's what we're keeping. DTR stands for define the relationship, and became a hot term like you need to have a DTR both in and outside Christian circles more so in Christian circles because they're like you need to have a DTR you need to know where you stand in the relationship so it was like a very uncomfortable conversation so I started it the blog name with that to help people define their relationship with God themselves and others through stories so it was a play on words that is a little outdated now but that's okay (laughs) um and yeah so I get, it's so funny because people ask me, I'll sometimes get it. So once I did a thing, I'm like, what do you guys think DTR means? And they thought it means the dater blog. They thought it means okay. um, yeah. daughter of the king. <laughs> what? <laughs> All kind. And I was like, no, it's just, it's just a joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I remember it. It's, it's, it's the the phrase you would use when you've been for like coffee as friends, nothing like serious or anything. And then afterwards, one person likes the other and it's like, okay, need to define the relationship. Right. But I'd literally never heard of that. Um, <laughs> although it, it probably did become useful, like coming back, uh, especially if you were in leadership in an evangelical church and you're just trying to meet to like organize things yeah, and people yeah. are thinking that you like them. And it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. I've never had, I don't really, people are like, you need to have a DTR with someone and know where you stand. And I'm like, now I just think you need to have good communication, ongoing communication. <laughs> you don't need to like have these intense, where do we stand? It's just kind of like, just cute, just have healthy communication. And that's my view now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So do you want to maybe speak a little bit more to your experience of faith growing up, uh, what it's meant to you, and then how that's changed over the past few years as well? Yeah. Um, like I said, so um my mom converted when I was like seven, six or seven years old. And my dad is, uh, they separated. Um, but my dad is Buddhist. So he doesn't, 
he wouldn't necessarily be like, I'm a Buddhist, but he identifies with Buddhist traditions and thought process. So, um, and my mom was this radical Protestant Christian. She would go on the streets, evangelize, give tracts. She would, you know, when we would, she would take me to school, she would roll down my window and like literally yell out the window, do you know Jesus to like random people? <laughs> I'm like, mom, stop. <laughs> but there's something to be said about when, when people from oppressive countries find an awakening or faith, like they are unafraid to tell people because for so long they have been silenced or oppressed. Like they just want people to experience what they do. So now I can respect that where I don't believe she had great tactics. I don't think that calling everything demonic and, but that's what she knew. That's what was taught at that time. That that was very Protestant charismatic um, church stuff. So I grew up um, in the Protestant church, uh, whole shebang, people falling down, you know, all that. And Jesus was very important to me because I had a very uh, um, chaotic childhood, moved a lot, had a lot going on. So, but Jesus as a person was very real to me at a young age. And that stuck with me all through life. I never felt like I fit in in the church. I always wanted to fit in in the church, but I felt like I didn't, um, I didn't have the family dynamics that, that, that I've saw other people have. So I, I never, I never really felt like I fit in. So with that, I think that became easier for me as an adult to still not fit in. <laughs> um, so I never, I never was like the church is my hope. It's my home. It's everything. It's like Jesus is to me is that. So my mom, when she got sick with um, brain cancer, she refused radiation and chemo because she believed in a miraculous healing, which I think at the time the brain tumor had already impacted her reasoning. But now I look at it. So she ended up passing away five months later. And my mom would not have done well as like a consistently sick person. She would have just, (laughs) I don't even know, like, um, but, and I've, I've since had incredible, like, like weird like dreams and things where it's like very healing in that um but I look at it and I'm like I see all the things for instance with what COVID last year and people what they are preaching and teaching and I'm like my mom believed that because that was what was taught to her at some point right like science is the devil my dad is a scientist (laughs) so yeah I have a very complex um worldview and I'm thankful for that but I do see the harm in the direct harm in preaching ideologies and theologies that are just not right um you can believe in what miracles signs wonders and you can believe in science at the same time you can two things can be true at the same time and I learned a lot of that in the social work and mental health um world that I'm in with dialectics. And that principle is very powerful. It's very much in the Bible. And now that's why I speak out about last year. It was like, I cannot not say something about these large worship gatherings in the name of persecution to sell merchandise and albums and make money 
I, I have a problem with that because I saw my mom go through that, like with Benny Hinn and with all of that. And, um, so, so I, I went through a hard time processing after that, which I, I agree, you know, I had grief and depression, anxiety, OCD, just, I could not relax really. And so I left my job, left everything. I kind of had like a nervous breakdown where I just, I would have like five or six panic attacks a day. I moved in with my dad in small apartment in Irvine, California. And for two years, I just, I just went through a healing process and I allowed things around me to kind of get silent and I allowed myself to process. And that's all I did. So after that, it's like, I do not care what the church says or the evangelical church. I don't care. I don't think it's all bad. I think there's a lot of good, a lot of healthy things, but I do think there's a lot of unhealthy things. So I have no problem talking about that. And it does not at all affect my faith in Jesus. Like nothing can take that. Like that couldn't take it and nothing's gonna take it, you know? That's how I feel. Was there any like topics in particular that you felt you had to uh, change your mind on? Um, anything in particular where you were convinced of something and then had to go, actually, that might not be quite right and then change your perspective on it? That's a really good question. I think that that's the question to ask for a lot of us right now. Um, I was a big Bethel follower like I listened to Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin and I will absolutely not do that anymore I I, after the um things that I saw uh with particular and and heard and but saw with my own eyes that with people in leadership what they were posting and saying and even support of QAnon and and things that came out that I perceived as racist I was like absolutely not like there's no way that i you know separating even the theological things like i cannot i have black friends i have i am an iranian american i i um absolutely cannot like tie myself to anything that would that i believe can intentionally make it easier to cause harm emotionally mentally whatever so that was a probably one um and then and then even theologically certain things with in that world charismatic world i always have care like charismania in my heart to except with the holy spirit stuff but nothing at all with uh cult like i can i have had like a strong um like rejection of any cult-like mentality. So I was in YWAM. I actually did YWAM in uh, Youth with a Mission, which is a missions organization. And I did that in England and in Hawaii. And in England, I did a nine-month Bible study school, which was very intense and brilliant. And I think that I found very good things in YWAM, but I know the level of um, like how much they, they, um, 
tell you that if you leave, you will not be able to pursue the missions of ministry of and the calling on your life. And so any type of cult like thing, I, I just can't stand. And I think that, that I saw how a lot of these organizations or ministries operate with that mentality and yeah. Yeah. Anything that's like authoritarian or anytime that I hear the word of like the need to honor in a specific yes. way, or there's yeah. like oh. a lot of teaching on honor or don't cause um, division or yeah. yes, that's a, that's a huge, the honor thing, gay marriage. I used to be very, uh, I used to think homosexuality is the sin of all sins and very much taught that. And I just, I just can I feel the need to consistently say that I'm sorry. Um, I have a lot of queer Christian friends and they're phenomenal. And I learned so much about grace from them because they've experienced so much rejection and that they are the most, they don't want anyone to experience that. So they're the most graceful, kind, loving people and yeah. the grace they've shown me, you know, so that was, that, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah exactly the the Bethel ones like interesting like I know that I definitely have experienced that like I think back to when I first heard Bethel it would have been probably 2012 um and oh what song was it I can't remember what it was but it was an album where it was mainly like acoustic and it was a kind of brownish album cover um and it was just brilliant and I remember that being such a helpful and just like wholesome sort of experience like listening to it really feeling connected to God through it and then getting to the stage where you see a lot of the harm there is that conflict there um of do you continue to participate or do you not do you continue to play their songs on a Sunday and just accept that or do you not because they're the popular ones or the ones that are um around but I know a lot of people who have had have either been at Bethel and had really bad experiences like through BSSM and things like that um or people who um have worked alongside people from Bethel um and either not had a, a good experience or heard things that um right I've meant that i i really just i've removed all of the music from my library Me too. and it was all a hard it's it's a hundred it's a very valid uh, tension source of tension because for a long time we that's the though that music and the music like similar to that is what we had it was like what was in front of us it was what was played in churches it was what any church really um but I, I realized these churches, the albums come from the church and the album is called the church's name. So the album sales are going to the church. So if you are listening to the music, you are directly supporting the institution of that church. And it sucks because there are certain people who, uh, whose music I love, but Bethel in its of itself is a music producing organization. So they have a lot of artists under them, but I don't, I don't want to say like what I know or don't know. I have a assumption that they're with the royalties, like who gets what I, I, I don't know if it's, this is very equal or it's very, you know, I've had 
conversations with different people. So that being regardless of that, it's, it's uh, this whole having worship albums that come out from the church and it being called the church's name has caused a lot of confusion because people don't know if they can listen. And I think that what needs to happen is you separate the two. The artists are different organization or different group or different um, company, or they're themselves have a different name. You could say these artists are from, but you cannot have it so intertwined where no one knows if you can listen to something because it's a church. Cause you don't, you have a lot of people listening to the music that don't know the church, but the money is going to the church. They're running and going yeah. forth. And that is really confusing. Yeah. I even think of, um, the difficulty that's very similar to that switch with music mm-hmm. and comedy as well so I know that um, when I was in the stage of being like very conservative uh, politically and um, spiritually and theologically mm-hmm. um, would find stuff by like Stephen Crowder for example yeah. funny and enjoyable right. and looking back and listening to some of that stuff I'm like how did I, I ever find that funny uh, but I suppose it's coming back to that point that you made earlier on of um the things that are passive aggressive that um it's almost a defense mechanism I feel um when I think back on it for the the frailty of the belief that I had yeah. at the time was was just a way the passive aggressiveness was like a false bravado almost that was there that's very that's very well said um in comedy in general you can have a guy go up there or or girl and just do sexualized jokes with a bunch of f-bombs and the audience can love it and that and but we as a as someone who who uh writes comedy you know i uh, comedians know when someone's doing that and they don't really not that they don't respect, they just are like, oh, you're that, you're that kind of com- comedian. So that's how I view, I'm like, oh, you're making that easy joke. All right. Like you're making whatever it is. It's fine. Cause, but I have grace because I think if I was so extreme on one side and I was able to process, be in the nuance and be in a place where I'm at, where I'm at now, where you're, you've had a similar experience that gives me hope. A lot of people can. And so I give grace. I'm like, well, you're just in the place I was. It's a little easier when it's not a mainstream, massive, you know, uh, internet figure or whatever. But I do, I do think sometimes I think it would be so cool if one of these guys with massive, uber conservative evangelical following just made that switch it's just something clicked and they just rerouted even a little bit all the people that be impacted so i try to yeah it's like the like example that. of josh harris yeah, like yes. with purity culture that he was such a massive voice for that and then that switch and definitely undermines a lot of the teachings of uh, purity culture that went on from uh, yeah i guess dating goodbye yeah that's Yes, that is a great, I, I respect him because he, we all, I'm like, we're all single because of you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> and then he tried to fix it with a documentary and then that didn't do well. And then he just was like, I'm going to stay out of this. And he stayed out of it. We, you know, retracted all the content and then, 
now he's speaking a little bit more about the pro his process, which is very relatable to a lot of people now. Maybe the audience just wasn't ready a few years ago to hear the things that he's saying, and now people are. Um, but I just, as as someone who is a little bit public figure, just a tiny bit, I can understand the level of regret that you would have because you're so die hard purity. Like I look at the things I posted three years ago on my blog and I cringe. I think if I, I wanted a book to feel so bad, then had I had a book come out, I would be probably just like him now. Like I'm so happy it didn't happen because I was just <laughs> so in a box and thinking that I was edgy. Cause I, I would make a joke about Proverbs 31 and like not cooking. That was my <laughs> level of edginess, which is cute. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's, it, so maybe it'll happen with more people. That would be cool to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the work that you're doing in your master's in social work just now? Yeah. So, um, I, so I went to school at UC Santa Barbara and I got a degree in global studies, which I just was fascinated by wars and global events and international relations. And I wanted to work for the UN. And then I let, I, uh, after college, I worked in all tourism travel industries. So I worked for a private jet company, I worked for tourism. And then I left that and I went to missions. <laughs> like YWAM. And so I think I, I saw like the rich and the poor and I just was like, there's, there's the same issues and problems met. Like there's things that are not being talked about in all of our lives. And then there's a level of advocacy that I want to learn uh, how to do it appropriately and correctly alongside. Um, I don't want the savior complex. I lived that for a few years. Um, and then I went through my own mental health struggle. So I decided that I want to pursue uh, psychology and mental health education wise. Um, so then I went back to school and I got a job at a recovery home for women with borderline personality disorder and PTSD alongside other things. And Borderline personality disorder is a uh, highly stigmatized. It's probably the most stigmatized, but there's a lot of people who have it that, especially in the church that are not diagnosed. And it's the one, it's the one mental illness that you can have, that you can actually recover from. I'm sure there's a lot more to come out about all the, you know, all kinds of stuff, but basically, um, I noticed I worked, I, I was so unqualified for the job, but I, I got the job on the spot and I told them I'm a comedian and I, my mom was had BPD probably. And I just, yeah, yeah, was passionate. So it was so funny. They hired me on the spot and started working there. And I just loved the work. I loved the women who came in. They're just very traumatized. There were transgender women tra traumatized in the church. I'll never forget one of the one uh, of the women. She uh, she got up and she, and then she was leaving. And she, I watched her whole healing process, and it was 
just incredible. And she wrote, read a poem and she said, I will always love the church, even when the church rejects me. And I just, wow. I just was like, wow. you just, to just encounter people as people and humans and not have an agenda to convert them and not anything. You just accept them as they are. You see that that's, that's enough. Like that's, that's what we are called to do is, is, uh, just to be alongside people in life and love well. And, and I learned that a lot of that is just sitting and listening and literally not saying anything, validating someone's experience, validating their feelings. And then they themselves learn and, and go on the journey of life. Like you don't have to do anything. You're it's actually not healthy or good to try to do anything to fix thing because you you can't rely on someone to do that for you in life. You know, it was a very humbling experience. I then got to use comedy. I found the, so the dark humor thing, the Scottish dark humor, very much relevant to that setting. These women were so funny, but it was so dark, but it was so funny because they went through really dark things. So I did a comedy class with them and I was like, just sit, just a comedy is just saying what you don't, what you want to say. And you feel like you can't say, so just say it, just write it down, just say it. And they all got up and it was so funny. And I was like, man, there's really something about like healing. If we just allow people to say what they want to say, you know, a safe setting. So I was, that was really awesome to do that. And I now have a passion to kind of fuse all of what I've learned and that those experiences together and do it in a larger capacity. That's brilliant. It definitely is a very healing process. Um, I even think of uh, the experiences that I had in the church that I used to attend and towards the end, there definitely were instances of religious and emotional abuse. Um, and just recently, actually, from a birthday, like because we're in COVID, we can't see anyone, mm -hmm. but um, Katie and some friends of ours organized a Zoom call and they did a thing and it was the roast of William. Um, <laughs> it's so good. But the, yeah, and there was one that was like the cards against William and the amount of stuff that came up about the church that I used to attend oh, and the experiences yeah. there that was just seeing it like so funny i mean if you'd if you'd said two years ago i probably wouldn't have been able to take it at that point but now in the position that i'm in it was just so funny, funny. it was such a good night it was you just felt great afterwards and it's like okay I'm justified and the hurt that i had but then also um i can laugh at yeah. it now and go okay i've grown and developed yeah. as a, a person absolutely as well. and it's a relatable experience it's not just even you and I think if uh, more people, if we talk about it, they'll, they'll see that. So if you were to yeah. tell these jokes or if they were to tell these jokes in front of an audience, so many people will probably relate and laugh. And it, then it becomes yeah, healing exactly. for everyone because you're like, we corporately went through this. Like I'm, I am I'm writing a thing and I used to fake falling down from the Holy Spirit as a kid. Like, and because yeah. I had so much anxiety and they would come around and it was like when they would put their you know hand on your forehead and everyone would fall and i was like so stressed about wanting to make sure that i'm approved by god enough to fall down that i would literally fake the experience and then i would lay on the ground and then i would look around to see when i'm supposed to get up and so many people 
who are in that world have said that they've done yeah. that. But it's like, you have to I, I have, say yeah. that you do it because you're like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? Just stand, be the person who's, you can't be the one standing. Like, what does that mean? So it's, it becomes funny. It becomes a very funny experience that you had at the time that was not funny, but just awkward at the time my my sister was one of the people that like pushed back on it and <laughs> oh. I was like I'm not gonna fall over unless it's genuine um she's very like yeah. strong uh strong-willed and uh so <laughs> it was so funny there was like a, a pastor or a preacher over from somewhere and they were like actually trying to push her over thank you um, and they're like you're like and, uh, she actually had to say like sorry what are you what are you doing <laughs> why are you trying to push me like um, nothing's happening just now um and and i know one of my other friends like he at the church that i used to attend everyone was falling over because it was just i don't know you were all caught up in the yeah, moment I or whatever so um yeah and he just it wasn't happening for him and so i remember i think for over the period of maybe four different prayer nights or something like that he definitely had the senior pastor pray for him for at least half an hour on each of those nights and it's like oh that's so <laughs> awkward so awkward. And it's like why is that the goal that's so funny <laughs> i mean i do think people can have very real experiences like that i just think that that oh, yeah. lot, like was a lot like have you there's a youtube benny hinn video and it has a, he has a light, they have made it so the coat is a lightsaber and he's going around whacking. Okay. And so it's like a lightsaber and they do the like Darth Vader noises and everyone's yeah. falling. It's like, I'm like, I can't believe this is our lives. Like, That's it's amazing. so funny. <laughs> That's so good. Um, just before we kind of wrap up to today's podcast, uh, one link that I'd like to to make here, and you kind of alluded to it earlier on when we spoke about comedy as a way of telling the truth, um, but and, and saying the things that are left unsaid, it reminds me a lot of the role of the prophets in the Bible, um, not about like like telling the future or anything like that but saying something that's true that no one else has really said that's also difficult to say so do you think that there's a link between comedy and the prophetic yeah I do I think I didn't until people this has come up quite a bit and um I you know you can kind of call it prophetic in the in in outside and inside the church, like the same definition of that. And I think um, being able to say something in a way that people may or may not hear, but it's a way to say it so that at least the doors open is, it's a gift to do it with comedy, I think. And I I never would have said that before, even maybe like a month ago, because I didn't have the confidence to really say that but I do think it is a gift that I can say something in a in a funny way it can be I took a Steve Martin master class that was the one comedy class that I have done and that is I he has a uh, education in philosophy no one knows that but maybe some people do but like a higher education in philosophy and he uses that in comedy and that's like what he so it's all connected um and yeah, I think of uh, like even 
even Dave Chappelle, like the way that he's able to say things, it's kind of ahead of its time almost sometimes. And, um, and even the new Testament or like, Jesus is really funny. Even Paul is funny. It's just kind of like you're, you get asked all these things and he just cuts right through it with a parable or a sentence or something that they just have no idea what he's saying. And they're like, what, you know, and, and I read yeah. these and I crack up. I'm like, he was so funny. He just did not give in to all of the noise. He would just cut right through it. And I think that's a, mm. a gift of, of doing that. And, um, everyone can like you, you can, it's just comedy makes it a little easier to do it because it's not as a, it doesn't seem as aggressive yeah yeah definitely well thanks very much for coming on and chatting with us today if people want to find your stuff where can they find you where's the best place for them to go yeah so my website is the dtrblog.com and then i'm on instagram at the dtr blog um and twitter at the dtr blog and tiktok (laughs) um yeah, but Instagram is the number one, Twitter. Yeah, so come on over. We have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Well, thanks again for coming on. I've really enjoyed today. Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome.